This is Gray Man Media Content. After more than a decade of denials, he confessed to 30 homicides committed in seven different states between 1974 and 1978. An infamous killer with a cult-like following, today on Wolf Takes Fight, we talk about Theodore Robert Bundy. I climbed into the hills. I, I would, I'm romantic, I would like Bigfoot to exist. One type is about three feet tall, very dark, not humanoid at all, yet lizard looking. The creatures that I have seen mostly have been the, uh, the greys. To the search for truth, little grey men, little grey men from outer space who actually abduct humans. Welcome back to another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite Podcast. I am your host, John Wolf, with my co-host, Devin Gray. Sorry, we're having technical difficulty. He's frozen. <laughs> he froze. And there we are. What's up? You're going to hate today's episode. Yeah, it's not going to be great. You're going to hate it. So, today we're talking about Theodore Robert Bundy, also known as Ted motherfucking Bundy. John, we're talking about Ted Bundy. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on with this Apple pose you got going on over here. I'm about to sell you the next iMac. That's (laughs) what's about to go down. Apparent fucking Lee, all you're missing is the pinky ring. Bro, if I could get the turtleneck. (laughs) (laughs) I could see you doing that. That would probably be a good look on you. You think so? Yeah. I think my neck would bulge out the top. (laughs) No, no. That's the part of the turtleneck. It hides the neck. Does it? Yes. I think All three chins. I think all of it would just kind of fluff up. (laughs) No, no. Your beard would look fuller because that's pretty much the only place you have. This thing? Good fucking luck. (laughs) What happened there? What do you mean? Well, it, it... did you shave the sides a little bit? No, dude. This is just... It's fluffing down here at the bottom? I believe you. You're rooster cocking. Am I? It's a... What it is is it's how I... <laughs> it's a defense mechanism. It's how I look bigger to enemies. Oh, see? Puffer fish, like I said. No, peacocking. It's peacocking. Puffer fishing. Like that. Yeah. Okay. So if I ever get scared or intimidated, I'll just... Go- Theodore Bundy! What do you know about Ted? Other than he's a gangster. Probably not. <laughs> no, I like that. That was actually slick. Um, also, my that's probably the best thong out of any thong? Thong song. That thong to thong thong thong. <laughs> wow, this is just thoughts. Why am I even talking about no, Ted Bundy? Hey, look, Let's just do this for the rest of the so, season. So actually, uh, one thing I have noticed about the previous episodes, a lot of sound effects. Loving what you're doing there. It's not too much in you don't any think way, so? shape, or form. Good. No, it was like just the right amount. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Bunny. No, I don't know a whole lot about Ted Bunny. I know he was like uh, this guy. He uh, He's the one that like buried chicks in his backyard, right? I mean, they all did. <laughs> they all did. Pretty much, yeah. All the major serial killers. No, I don't know a whole, whole lot about Ted Bundy. Um, I think when I was younger, I watched some, uh, a documentary on the History Channel about him, but, I mean, it's lost to memory. Fair enough. Fair I enough. blocked out the majority of my childhood. So Good. We're going about to relive some trauma. Not mine, but whoever's listening, if you uh, were involved in any way, shape, or form, you should avoid. Let's relive the trauma. <laughs> I'm taking my glasses off so I can see better. Just kidding, so you can see my eyes better. 
look into the windows of this man's soul. I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm just gonna get this real quick. Just keep going. Okay. Just keep going. Okay. <laughs> this could be a two-parter. Could be. A, he's teasing. I have enough info to do like three. He's teasing. There's a shit ton on Ted Bunny. Ted Bunny is probably one of the more well-documented serial killers. Uh, a lot of his interviews and like videos, audio recordings, and stuff like that. There's a bunch of information on him. But I will say this. Uh, I tried to condense it to some of the more interesting and less too well-known uh, facts about him. He's got the he's got the the stuff that nobody else has got. He's got that good good. Well, according about, to all of his <laughs> fans, yes. And as one of the more prolific serial killers, I will say it is interesting. He had fans. He I and mean, we'll get into it. He actually had fans that were like, "Oh, he killed people. I want to fuck him." It's concerning at best, sir. We'll get into that. I'm ready. I think it's fascinating. So, Theodore Robert Bundy, born November 24th, 1946, and gen- through January 24th, 1989, was an American serial killer who kidnapped, raped, and murdered numerous young women and girls during the 1970s, possibly more. Over, he confessed to possibly 30 or more homicides, he, but officially 30 homicides. He committed uh, these homicides in seven different states and his true victim total is still unknown to this day, he, which actually we think could be way, way higher. Show picture here. Of the total? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Bundy was regarded as a very handsome and charismatic. He had traits that he exploited to uh, win the trust of his victims and society in total. He would typically approach his victims in public places feeling... Uh, Fanging injury. That was a real hard word. Feigning. Feigning injury or disability or impersonating an authority figure before knocking them unconscious and taking them to secondary locations to rape and strangle them. It's no good. <laughs> Steve Jobs. I'm ready. No relation. Uh, he sometimes revisited his victims, grooming and performing acts sexually with them and decom- with their decomposing corpses um, until putrefaction had started in which he just suddenly lost interest. Most of the bodies were found by wild animals, which made any further interactions p- impossible for him. He decapitated at least 12 victims and kept some of them, some of their heads as mementos in his apartment. On a few occasions, he broke into dwellings at night and bludgeoned his victims as they slept. In 1975, Bundy was arrested and jailed in Utah for aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault. He then became suspect to a progressively longer list of unsolved homicides in several different states. Facing murder charges in Colorado, he engineered two dramatic escapes from prison and committed Further assaults in Florida, including three murders. Before his ultimate recapture in 1978, for the Florida uh, homicides, he received three death sentences in two different trials. He was executed at Florida State Prison in Rainford on July tw- or January 24, 1989. You think, uh, how fucked up would that be if they, like, killed the dude resuscitated him and then killed him two more times well my opinion 
if you're going to get consecutive <clears throat> death sentences, that's you're really getting a buy one get one if you only kill the man once. Well, in this case, he got buy one get two. Well, I mean, what? Why would they have multiples? I mean, I get that, but it really isn't a further punishment unless I, you bring him back to life. I agree. I think it's more. Um, it's for the survivors of the victims. It's like. That no. would give me no consolidation whatsoever. I, I understand. I, I'm in the same camp as you. I don't think that that would help me any. I mean, unless I get to kill him <clears> once, <throat> you get to kill him once, the gate state gets to kill him once, then somebody else gets to kill him <laughs> once. I mean, that would make more sense. If we really wanted to do it right, we would yeah. just tie these guys up and let every victim survivor give them a good cut. Well, there's no survivors. Well, the survivor, the vi- the Family survivors. The people, yeah. The, there's the people who, the, I don't. I don't think that's the right word. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they say they say they are survived by yes, you know they're which yeah. is a stupid terminology. Anyway. I agree. I agree. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, survived but, by late but widow, those, blah blah blah. But those guys should should be able to give them a nice little gash before they. Well, they should be able to do something. Yeah, but the whole thing is even in. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Penalty states. I'm not. <laughs> even in death penalty states, there. The honest truth is, it's not even a painful death. They're very no. humane about how they, they are. Work. They're they're you know they give dogs. They put dogs down in more inhumane ways than serial killers and rapists and molesters, <clears throat> which is fucked up. I'm not. Also, they put more dogs down than serial killers, rapists, and molesters. Like, why are all these dogs getting death sentences? We need to be using that shit on these guys. I I when I was younger Save I had dogs. A, I had a very I agree with that but I when I was younger I had a very uh, a very concrete idea of uh, the philosophy behind the death sentence um, as I've grown older and I've read more about philosophy in general I am now more convinced than ever I'm not the person who should be making those decisions I'm glad I'm not in legislation <laughs> oh yeah I'm definitely a judicial individual myself. Yeah, yeah, real, real, uh, <laughs> judge, uh, jury, and executioner yep, type yep, guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. I'll it. make the hard decisions, but I can't make the laws. <laughs> I just enforce them. If you give me the parameters within to operate, I will do come what up, I need to do. I will come up with something creative for sure. Yeah, within that parameter. Like, I mean, look at the too, show. What look is at too the, far? Look at the show. I what mean, is too far? <laughs> yeah, it's clearly not Ted Bundy. I mean, we covered cannibalism. Sure did. That was too far. Was it? At this point, I'm not <laughs> sure it was. <laughs> Ted Bundy. It's only a matter of time before we go much, much further into the deep, dark arts of the world. Oh, you have access to the dark web. Uh, anyone can. You have access to the dark web. I do. Use that later. All right. It's called Tor. You can download it. It's not hard. I don't trust it. I don't. I'm not telling you. I'm letting them know. Mm. If you're interested, it's not hard. But go on. Toro. T O R. Toros. Isn't that like how you rent like really exotic, like sweet ass cars? Yes, actually. Dude, I want to do that. I've actually been on that app recently. Have you? Yeah. You know, it's what? expensive as shit. No, I it? could get a Bugatti for a really? weekend for like 300 bucks in Louisville. Yeah. Baller, dude. Yeah, that might be worth. Want to slip around for a while? <laughs> I'm just saying, bro. A weekend? A weekend? Is it like there's a max miles you can drive or anything? No. Oh, Unlimited they fucked miles. up. They fucked up. Limited miles. All right, so we'll just get a bunch of uppers, and for 48 hours straight, we're gonna drive around in this Bugatti. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure that won't end up in catastrophe. What's the one with the Trident? The car with the Trident? Oh, uh, Koenigsegg. Ma- Maserati. 
There's a Maserati in Louisville you can rent. There's a couple Maseratis I've seen them driving around. What does Kona's egg look like? Oh, Kona's egg is the egg, I think. Does that make sense? I don't think so. Kona's egg. I think that's the guy's last name. Oh. <laughs> so if it's an egg logo, I mean, that makes sense. He's the one that made the one-to-one. Uh, why are we talking about this? <laughs> He's the one that made the one-to-one -one car. Oh. So it weighed as much as it had uh, horsepower. Whoa. Yeah. Fucking wild. So 2020 Tesla. I've already seen it driving around Louisville. Oh, those times. things must be crazy. It's a 2021 Tesla. Uh-huh. And it's like 200 bucks a day or something. Yeah. But dude, that thing drives itself. And it goes zero to 60 in 0.4 seconds. Yeah, and it's like way different than any engine, like normal engine, because it's electric. It's like yeah. with a regular diesel or um, uh, petrol. We were going to rent it and had drive it up to Indianapolis. It'd be sick. Or have it drive itself to Indianapolis and fuck on the way. I didn't really figure it out yet. Yeah, I think there's like a, I think they have a mode where you have to put your hands on the steering wheel every couple minutes. You would just do it in the front seat. That's all I'm well, saying. Yeah. That way you can, you know. I've you seen a porno where he did that. This is it's off topic. I'm cutting all of this. <laughs> See, uh, cut to Devin's camera there. That wasn't, that wasn't season one. That was just us having an honest conversation. Biographer Ann Rule described him as a sadistic psychopath who took pleasure from another human's pain and the control he had over his victims to the point of death, even after. He once described himself as the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet. Attorney Paulie Nielsen, a member of his last defense team, agreed that Ted, she wrote, was the very definition of heartless evil. His own defense team said that. They couldn't even defend him. Were they trying to go for, like, insanity? No. <laughs> Dude, hire different lawyers. <laughs> it was the 80s. The messed up truth about Ted Bundy's fangirls. Now, here is where I wanted to talk about this, because this is probably the most fascinating thing about the motherfucker. He actually married somebody during his murder trial. While he was in prison, he married one of his fans. So there would be, like, 18 to 26-year-old women standing outside of the prison day in and day out with signs and flashing their tits and doing all this stuff in front of his window in his cell. Like he could see it down. And then in his documentaries, I think they do a really good um, reenactment of that. It. It's pretty interesting, but it, it's pretty accurate to the point. So one of Ted Bundy's admirers even managed to marry him during his criminal trial. Uh, I'm guessing because she wanted to have the infamy more or less than anything. That's what they were attracted for. That and also, um, there is a huge subsection of people who are really fascinated with the dark mm. areas of life. Well, who, I mean, hopefully all of our viewers. Yes, obviously. But like, <laughs> especially when you start to learn. And I might be wrong about this, but like I've met a lot of women specifically who are real interested in that type of, you know, serial killers and stuff like that. I know a lot of guys, too. This is why I didn't work out with you and them. Do what? They're just like, oh, Devin, you haven't killed anybody? I'm sorry. It's not going to work out. Yeah, that's a common issue I run into in my <laughs> 27 years and 10 years of being with one woman. Yes, it's a constant issue. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, but, but like, no. oh, you look like you could kill somebody. Have you killed anybody? No. Oh, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Come back to me when you're, some, when you're about it. <laughs> I need to see the blood on your hands. <laughs> no. But, but yeah, there's a, there's a certain fascination with the dark arts, you know. Uh, especially people who aren't willing to go there mentally or physically. Mm. So I don't know if I'd call it dark arts. I would. I would call it acts. 
Because dark arts makes it sound like it's <clears throat> well, that's, fruitful in that's some because of your background in uh, witchcraft and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm thinking more of a f- philosophical side of things. I hear you. Maybe I, you just watch too much Harry Potter. Yeah, well, yeah, that's certainly magic. The dark arts. Sure. Harry. (laughs) Absolutely. Join us, Harry. If you're not capable of of going there mentally, a lot of people need to go there physically. That's usually where it goes. There is an an art to philosophy and and a a, a certain way of thinking. So, you know, I don't really disagree with dark arts calling it that, but there is an art to it without losing yourself. I guess so. But, I mean, if you do go that route, I think you lose yourself in some manner. Everyone it, has it, to. It's definitely weird, though, because there is a staggering, and I'll, <clears> I, <throat> I don't know if I'll even show the statistics on this episode. We'll find out. But what I will say is there is a staggering number of people that uh, psychology researchers and dissertations have proven that, like, there's a large, large number of people that either that don't do the acts but absolutely think about the acts to a point of obsession. I think it's – well, obsession's different. Yeah, I agree with that. But I think there's something primal, especially in, in men and furthermore young men. I mean, who hasn't thought about, like, just bashing the shit out of something? Just, like, not even maliciously, just thought about it. There's something real primal about that, and I think. Because, well, yeah, I mean, you're fucking her, and she's pissing you off. She <clears> said some shit yeah. earlier, and mm-hmm. then you just want to smack that, her. That's the same thing I said. Bat. Yep, same thing I said. Well, I'm just getting clarification with more graphic detail on this episode. That's what I said. Yep, specifically that. You want to go into more detail, Devin? Uh, please do. No, you. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't think anyone. If you're if you're thinking about what I'm saying, you know exactly which thoughts you've had. You know the ones I'm talking about. They may be something like John said. They may be something totally different. But you know the ones. Do some soul searching on that one. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But don't go killing motherfuckers. <laughs> I'd rather somebody think about it than actually do it. Right? I mean, what's the lesser of two evils, Devin? What do you think is worse, thinking about it or doing it? In what context? In any of the perverted context that we are talking about in this individual. If he were just to think about these acts and wallow in his own self-misery versus actually committing the acts, would that not have been better? I think that... For society, at least. Like, let's put it somewhere more timid. If you have a drug addict... And they just think about doing drugs all the time, but they don't actually do drugs. That doesn't work. <laughs> Why not? If they were able to just cut off the actual physical act of doing drugs, but they were just able to think about it. You ever had withdrawals? Yeah. <laughs> just thinking about doing the drug doesn't help. I'm not saying it does, no. but I'm saying there is people that live their lives that way. Really still? No comment. Interesting conversation. <laughs> As reported by Orlando Senatal, uh, Bundy and Carol Boone met in 1974 while they were working together in Olympia, Washington. During his trial, Bundy insisted on taking an active role in his defense and was permitted to question Boone, who testified on his behalf. During the questioning, Bundy proposed and Boone accepted the proposal. Bundy said, uh, stated, Bundy then stated, I do hereby marry you. He married himself to her. 
as they had already applied for a marriage license and notary was present in the courtroom and with witnesses to do the exchange. Now, the couple was legally married in the middle of the murder trial. Boone testified that Bundy was a warm, kind, and patient man who never displayed any destructiveness towards people. However, Psychology Today reports Boone was likely ignoring who Bundy really was and had instead fallen in love with then she did wanted what she wanted him to be, not what he actually was. Although Boone knew Bundy before the, his trial, it has been suggested that the media's portrayal of Bundy inspired the admirers he gained following his arrest. As reported by Psychology Today, author Anne Rule, who knew Bundy personally, said Bundy was not handsome, brilliant, or charismatic. In her opinion, he somehow became all of those things as the media embraced him. Polly Nielsen was part of Bundy's defense team and expressed similar statements and sentiments. Although she said that he sensed a degree, or she sensed a degree of insecurity in Bundy, she said he is charm. His charm was too obviously disingenuous to be truly charming. That's a lot of mouth words. <laughs> mouth words. <laughs> Someone, someone coin it. <laughs> Polly Nielsen, who was part of Bundy's defense team, expressed similar sentiments. Although she said that he sensed, she sensed a degree of insecurity in Bundy. And she said that his charm was too obviously disingenuous to be truly charming. Now, most of Ted Bundy's admirers never met him in person. Uh, State Archives of Florida uh, a Prison and Florida Memory via Wikipedia, as also reported by Psychology Today. Author Sheila Lansberg has suggested many women who romanticized killers like Ted Bundy were abused in past relationships and have essentially been conditioned to seek difficult relationships. In addition to often denying the convicted killers were capable of committing the crimes, Lensberg suggests that they find the idea of being involved with an inmate and the challenges it presents to be exciting and or thrilling. Although some of Ted Bundy's admirers insisted he was not innocent, or insisted he was innocent, others were keenly aware that he did what he did. However, they believed that they somehow had the power to change him. As reported by Crime Viral, a vast majority of Bundy's fans only knew him through media reports and interviews. Therefore, they formed ideas about him and who he was without ever having met or interacted with him in person. Having only seen a brief glimpse of Bundy, Crime Viral reports that they did not have the opportunity to gain insight into his true personality or the fact that he had a psychopathic personality. Bundy himself admitted a huge part of his life was hidden from everyone. Some women simply view inmates like Bundy as a perfect boyfriend. As they are incarcerated, the women know that they cannot leave the facility and are unlikely to have the opportunity to cheat and are lonely or bored enough to maintain consistent contact with these types of individuals. Ted Bundy remains one of the United States' most notorious serial killers throughout the mid to late 1970s. He traveled throughout the country killing at least 30 women in seven different states in addition to abducting, raping, and killing his victims. Cut to Devin. 
So it sounds like this is an episode about the phenomena of women falling in love with Ted Bundy more than it is about Ted Bundy. Is that correct? That's what we're covering in the first half of this episode. Well, this portion, yes. Now I am going to get into Ted's early life. Yeah. As well. Yeah. It is very strange. And even weirder that somebody would marry. But you, I, these people are obviously sick. I mean, in some way, shape, or form. Otherwise, they wouldn't. Or just victims. With victim mentality and, and abuse cycles. Right, they're sick. If they're stuck in, in that kind of pattern, you know, they need to look inward. Probably speak to a therapist. A good one. <laughs> but it I mean. It's just as dangerous. When you're. Uh, absolutely can. But when you're talking to, you know, when you're not only talking to a serial killer who's on trial, but you agree to marry them, you need to look inward. <clears throat> Seek help. So here's the uh, interesting part. Although he ultimately confessed to killing three dozen women uh, per his bi biography that he wrote, Bundy was convicted of only three murders. He got three uh, death sentences for the three murders, even though he admitted to over he 30. He only was convicted of three murders. Wow. They not have enough ev evidence on the other ones, even uh, though they had a confession? fucking confession, which somehow didn't make it into the arraignment. I mean, I guess they didn't need any more. He got three life yeah, I mean, death sentences. They got it done. They got it done, right? They, they got it done. They did, they did what they needed but to do. But is that really justice? No. No, it's not. It isn't. Most likely probably because they couldn't identify or find the rest of the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking over 30 people, maybe more. And across the country, too. Across the country. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a large footprint. Mm -hmm. And he was tried in the state of Florida. Is that right? Yes, he was found guilty of killing two Florida State University students along with the attempted murder of three others. Then in 1980, he was actually convicted of murdering a 12-year-old girl in a separate trial. Oh, shit. Um, all three were uh, rape and killings, and he was sentenced for death for all three killings. That's fucked, man. Yep. <clears throat> now, the heinous nature of Bundy's crimes was enough to draw international attention in hit to his case. However, his physical appearance and demeanor also captured the attention of a startling number of women, as we have discussed. Uh, during Bundy's trial, reporters approached one of his admirers and asked about their fascination with the accused killer. And as reported by Crime Viral, the woman simply replied, he just doesn't look like the type to kill somebody. Wow. Wow. Some dumb people in the 70s and 80s. There is monsters all around, and they don't look like monsters. They look like regular-ass people. Mm -hmm. uh, if, that's, if, there, if you ever needed concrete evidence, there you go. Absolutely. Ted Bundy. Ladies and gentlemen. If he travels in a van, be cautious. <laughs> yeah. Or a VW bug. Because apparently a lot of killers like those VW bugs. <laughs> they look so innocent, the little cars. You look don't like think you can fit a body in there, but apparently you can. They're big old bubbles, though. Yeah, you can they're fit little, at least two bodies in the trunk. That's a, that's a lot bigger car than you may think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of headspace. Try to remember the name of there. It was a, a remake movie or whatever that was like based on the true story of the California Highway Killer. Mm -hmm. um, 
I can't remember what it was, maybe if it was, but it was really, really good. Um, I'm sure if you do even a half-ass Google search, you'll find it. There's a, they had a, a similar like arch nemesis bad guy in Criminal Minds. He was like kind of like going up and down a highway, and they were following. That's him what that was based on. Actually, yeah, no, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Criminal Minds also they cover a lot of stuff too. I think they actually made an allu- like disillusion in some of the earlier seasons that they were going after Ted Bundy but never got him. Really? Yeah. Which just shows the FBI didn't do shit. I thought it was more modern than that. Maybe a version of it. But. Well, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, adaptive stories. I mean, yeah. there's only so many doc- well-documented serial killers, and I'm sure that they take a lot of that for their scripting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to, you know, write to what you know. Yep. Based on real life, it's easy. Cold case files, too. Fact is often uh, much more interesting than fiction. So, I don't know how this is going to edit down. I see we're just about over we're about 30. 36 minutes, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and get some thoughts, and then we can wrap up and move on to the other portion, I guess. Um, hmm. What are your thoughts? I think I've, I've mentioned, you've read a lot, but I've I've given my opinions. What, what are you thinking so far? Like you've avoided a lot of opinions. I avoided one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that, I mean, obviously it's a very fascinating case. I mean, Ted Bundy is, again, one of the most documented people. Yeah. Uh, but I think that we're, I find a lot of inconsistencies is his motivation. They don't really talk about that. Mm. And that's one thing I'm actually about ready to get into, into the audio portion of this podcast, where we talk about his early life and maybe try to discern what his motivations to do this was. I don't know anything about Ted Bundy. All I, I know basically... Uh, what you what, you've, what you just told me, which sounds like a lot of women liked them. So, with not much to go off of, sounds pretty fucked up. <laughs> I don't know, man. Weird as shit. But I don't know, man. I know we're, you're about to tell me probably a bunch of horrible fucking sh- things that happen. I can only hope. <laughs> so, anyway, if, you, uh, if you're interested in any of that, uh, John knows where we can, you can listen to that. You can find us anywhere podcasts can be found. Uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Apple Podcasts, as well as... Tuner, Deezer. Google Podcasts, too? Probably. All of them. Literally. Anywhere. Except for SoundCloud, probably. I think it's the only place we're not. Because we have to manually upload yep. it. Yeah. yeah. That's too much work. Yeah, far too much. <laughs> Hey, if you want to hear us on SoundCloud, comment below. <laughs> <laughs> comment somewhere. Yeah, yeah comment it's on be, Apple. It's been like two months since we've had a review. We would love one. I would like any review whatsoever. Yeah. You do you believe? Stop. <clears throat> Welcome back to this super sexy episode of Wolf Takes a Bite. This is the audio-only portion of the podcast where we talk about Ted Bundy's early life and maybe more details on his murder. Maybe we figure out why he did what he did. Let's you got see. some theories? Let's see why he fucked up he is. <laughs> why fucked up he is is what I said, yep. I, I, I got it. Okay, cool. So Ted was uh, born Theodore Robert Cowell on November 24th, 1946 to Eleanor Louise Corwell, uh in 1924 to 1912. She lived, by the way, known as Luis and the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers. 
That's where they lived. It was in Burlington, Vermont. Her, well, there's a, that's a, that's it. That's all we need to know. Like the coat factory? They all come from Vermont. That's why they're fucked up. Yeah. It's, now we know. <laughs> then the, isn't Vermont like the most serial killers come from Vermont? Really? Oh, there's a lot of murders in Vermont. Yeah. I knew that. Doesn't it have like one of the highest opioid like abuse? It's got a lot of problems. It's not a great place. Very so, expensive. Very pretty. Bad place to be. Yeah. Did you see Maine was offering people with student loan debt up to $40,000 to move there? That's a red fucking flag, Devin. It, well, it's because the, the population there is, it's a retirement state, so they have no young people to work. Well, they have no young people to rape or murder anymore because they all left. Whoa. <laughs> I mean. By the way. Theodore T- Robert Colwell killed me, him. Is what let I me mean just take a picture of what I'm looking at here. I want you to look at me the same way you just looked at me because the way, <laughs> the way. That the the iPad is creating a shadow. You look fucking evil as shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good fix. Good fix. Good fix. Maybe I should do a. Want to put your camera like right there and like do a, a little face cam? Yeah. No. I want to do you, a little bonus footage. You can give me yours. I'll record it. So anyway, uh, they lived in Burlington, Vermont. His father's identity was never confirmed. By the way. Uh, by some accounts, his birth certificate assigns paternity to a salesman and Air Force veteran named Lloyd Marshall. Though, according to others on the father, others, the father is listed as unknown. Louise claimed she had been seduced by a war veteran named Jack Worthington, who abandoned her soon after she became pregnant with Ted. Some family members expressed suspicions that Bundy might have been fathered by Luis's own father. No, that's fucked up. Samuel Caldwell. That would explain everything. That's That would just explain everything. Just so you know, folks, uh, if you go to the Instagram, you might be able to see some bonus footage from this episode. So there you go. For the first three years of his life, Bundy lived in Philadelphia. Mm, for the first three years of his life, Bundy lived in Philadelphia, home of his maternal grandparents who raised him as their son who avoided to avoid social stigmata. Now that accompanied birth outside of wedlock, especially during this time period. That's very uh, taboo. His mom gave birth to him by a random flyboy or potentially her own dad. Well, what? What? Yeah, did you miss that? Ted's father is either a flyboy from the um, war, or his mom's own father. What war? I'm assuming some war. He was an Air Force veteran. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1946, so I'm assuming Second World War, Devin. Um, I don't know that that checks out. How long were we? Because didn't Pearl Harbor get bombed on the uh, 1942? December. I know it was in December. I don't think that checks out. I don't think it's in December. He might have been a retired flyboy. It says veteran, so that usually means you're no longer in service. Is that what that means? Yes. Okay. Because you're either active duty or you're veteran. If you're a veteran, you're no longer in service. Right. Yeah, that's why it's the VA. Right. I understand now. Okay. Roger that. Copy. For the first three years of his life, we've already read that. Here we go again. Family, friends, and even young Ted. Young Ted. We're told that his grandparents were his parents. Fuck. 
Family, friends, and even young Ted were told that his grandparents were his parents and that his mother was his older sister. He eventually discovered the truth, however, although this, his recollections of the circumstances have varied. He told a girlfriend that a cousin showed him a copy of his birth certificate after calling him a bastard, but he told biographers Stephen Michaud and Hugh Ainsworth, yeah, you have to use the accent, otherwise it doesn't work, Hugh Ainsworth, that he found the certificate by himself. Bundy expressed a lifelong resentment towards his mother for never talking about him or talking to him about his real father and for leaving him to discover that his true parentage for himself. His father's identity was never confirmed. Now let's take a break. I know that was very short, but this is important. I think this is why he is the way he is. Back to it. Right. Right. Wait, you were going to tell us why he is the way he is. I think that's what I just did. Oh, that was... Okay, got it. I understand now. I thought you were going to go a little... Yeah, then I got distracted by myself in the mirror, so, you know. (laughs) Understood. Yeah. Roger, Roger. Copy that. Right later. So, well, what do you think? I think that we don't know who his mother or, or father is. Oh, so we didn't listen. Okay. So that, we know his mother is. Hello? We know who his mother you is. You said his family and friends might have, like, said he that. He didn't know. That he might have thought that. Uh, yeah, he didn't know, and his family and friends didn't know. But his mom knew, and his grandparents <laughs> knew the story the whole time. Only thing Did that you nobody say that? knows. Yes. Only thing nobody knows for sure is who his father was, mm. which was either a fly boy or his grandfather. I thought you said dad earlier. His mom's dad. Which would have been easier to say grandfather, but now I put it in the, together. Okay. So he's he was either sired by his by some random flyboy or his own grandfather that raped his mom, which was old enough just to be like a few years older than him when he was growing up. So like it was his older sister, like that's what they were telling him. That's okay, that's and why that I his got grandparents were his actual parents, that's what he believed. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Now your words. Confusion. Mm. In some interviews, Bundy spoke warmly of his grandparents and told Rule that he identified and told the Rule that he identified with and respected and clung to. <clears throat> he clung to his grandfather in 1987. However, he and other family members told attorneys that Samuel Caldwell, Cowell, was a tyrannical bully and a bigot who hated blacks, Italians, Catholics, Jews, beat his wife and the family dog. So he was a cop. No, I'm just kidding. And swung neighborhood cats by their tails. He once threw Luis's younger sister, Julia, down a flight of stairs for oversleeping. Mm. Starting to get flashbacks. He sometimes spoke aloud to unseen presences and at least once flew into a violent rage when the question of Bundy's paternity was raised. Bundy described his grandmother as a timid and an obedient woman who periodically underwent electroconvulsive therapy for depression and feared to leave their house towards the end of her life. Bundy occasionally exhibited disturbing behavior at an early age. Julia recalled awakening from a nap to find herself surrounded by knives from the kitchen and three-year-old Ted Bundy standing by the bed smiling. I love the electro 
electroshock therapy thing. Like, hey, Doc, I'm, I'm sad. Oh, well, let me hook you up to this fucking car battery. Yeah, yeah. Woo, modern medicine. How do you feel like the fact that he's a three-year-old surrounding one of his cousins with a bed full of knives? Very strange. Um, however, like I, like I alluded to before I got off topic, um, it was... It, there is a, a testing period, especially at that age, where you're trying to figure out what's socially acceptable. And if you don't have strong role models and parents, you know, you can go further and further and further. However, it's a big test, Devin. It's a massive test. It's concerning to say the least. Oh, however, I feel like my reply would be thank you for giving me all of these items to defend myself with but, as I lay in a bed full of sharp objects. But I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if. It's not necessarily that there isn't such a thing as bad kids because there is, mm. but I, f a lot of it can be traced back to your, your role models. And if your parents are one of those type of people who are too afraid to actually parent and do what the, what's necessary, um, you can't end up with a child who goes much, much further than is necessary because they're trying, they're just doing things to see what's socially acceptable. Yeah, but it's still like, no, it's yeah, it's still very fucking weird. But you know those kids when you go out to a restaurant and the fucking kids are screaming? Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then you see the parents and the parents are just sitting there acting like they can't do anything about it? Well, they can't because you can't just walk up to the kid and smack the fucking shit out of them my like you kids, do at home. My kids do not scream out in public, and there's a reason why. It's because they've been told not to. you you got to step up and be a parent. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, no. but when a kid acts out like that in public, you can't do nothing in public. First off, you shouldn't need to hit your kid. Like a little flick or something like that may be, a, uh, you know, something to do. But all you're doing is giving massive amounts of of negative punishment for what's honest, honestly, just a minor infraction as far as social acceptability. This is my opinion. Obviously, mm. people are allowed to parent however they like. This is my experience. My kids don't behave like that in public. They're much worse at home than they are out in public, actually. <laughs> I would prefer that. As you've noticed, my kids will run around this apartment screaming, but then you take them out and they're, they're fairly well behaved. And that's how I think most people should be. Bundy was back in Washington by the fall of 1969 when he met Elizabeth Colfer. When was this? The fall? Fall of 1969. Nice. Identified in Bundy literature as Meg Anders, Beth Archer, or Liz Kendall. A divorcee from Ogden, Utah, who worked as a secretary at the University of Washington. The School of Medicine, by the way. Their stormy relationship would continue well past his initial incarceration in Utah in 1976. In the mid 1970s, Focused and goal-oriented, he re-enrolled at UW. This time was a psychology major. That's a scary thought. Imagine this guy becoming your therapist. A lot of very concerning people end up going down into that, into that profession. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. He became an honor student as well as well-regarded by his professors. In 1971, he took a job at Seattle's Suicide Hotline Crisis Center. There, he met and worked alongside Ann Rule, the former that she was actually with, dealing with as a case. You know, she wrote in his biogra biography. 
uh, a former Seattle police officer and aspiring crime writer who would later write one of the definitive Bundy biographies. The Stranger Beside Me, Mrs. Rule, saw nothing disturbing in Bundy's personality at the time. She described him as kind, solicitous, and empathetic. After graduating from UW in 1972, Bundy joined Governor Daniel J. Evans' re-election campaign. Posing as a college student, he shadowed Evans' opponent, former Governor Albert Rossellini, and recorded his stump speeches for analysis by Evans' team. Evans appointed Bundy to the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Committee. This is fucking insane. Meanwhile, this guy's killing people. Just keep that in mind, timeline-wise. He is still committing murders at this point. Uh, Evans appointed Bundy to the Crime Prevention Advisory Committee. After Evans was re-elected, Bundy was hired as an assistant to Ross Davis, chairman of Washington State Republican Party. Davis thought well of Bundy and described him as smart, aggressive, and a believer in the system. In the early 1973, despite mediocre... LSAT scores, Bundy was accepted into law schools of UPS and University of Utah. And on strength of letters of recommendations from Evans Davis and several UW psychology professors. During he was going to med school and law school? Yeah. Very impressive. Well, he was at a it was a med college, but he was doing psychology, I think, there for Mm. his for his MD, and then he apparently went in towards law after that. I mean, if you're going to dismember people. A lot of accolades. Yeah. Monsters around. During a trip to California on the Republican Republican Party business in the summer of 1973, Bundy rekindled his relationship with Brooks. She marveled at his transformation into a serious, dedicated professional. Seemingly on the cusp of a significant legal and political career, he continued to date Killoffer, as well as neither women were aware of the other's existence. In fall of 1973, Bundy uh, articulated at UPS Law School and continued curating books, who flew to Seattle several times to stay with him. They discussed marriage, and at one point, he introduced her to Davis and his fiancée. He's talking about Kalopper, Kalipur, however you say that last name. The one that he was, well, yeah, uh, two. The one he was dating in the med college. Right. And then he had the other girl he was dating when he went to the when he was doing his political Korean thing. Very interesting. Yes. Uh, in January 1974, he abruptly broke off all contact. Her phone calls and letters were unreturned. Uh, finally reaching him by phone a month later, Brooks demanded to know why Bundy had unilaterally ended their relationship without explanation. In a flat, calm voice, he replied, Stop on me. I have no idea what you mean. And then hung up. She never heard from him again. He later explained, I just wanted to prove myself and I could have married her. But Brooks concluded, in retrospect, that he had deliberately planned the entire courtship and rejected it in advance as vengeance for the breakup she initiated in 1968. So he led her along for almost 10 years just to fucking break up with her. 
By then, Bundy had begun skipping classes at law school, and by April, he had stopped attending entirely, as young women began to disappear in the Pacific Northwest. It sounds like he's having no problem getting along in life. He was very Dis- charismatic, according to the mo- major media. Yeah. Right. Despite being a mass murderer. Again, again, only furthering uh, what I've said about monsters and being people everywhere. Literally. At any moment. Am I not allowed to fuck with you anymore? Are you, like, going to take it personal every time? I just don't want to be abused anymore, David. Don't hit me. I'm not. Don't hit me. You can't switch the narrative when I've been chained up for this entire show. don't hit me. It's a call for help. So, now we know a little bit about his history. Yeah. Do you see any um, identifiers other than his early childhood? No, not outside of his. I mean, going into med school... Interesting choice. Um, going into law school, interesting choice. But again, like I said, he, he's not having any problems getting around. So whatever is making him sick is clearly not uh, any kind of issue. So It is quite perplexing, to say the very least. What a profound idea. I'm disagreeing with you, Devin. Yes, I understand. Okay, fantastic. So now let's talk about the part you've been dreading that you thought I might have not ever get to in this entire thing. But here we are. The killings? The murders! Oh, fucking Yay! Time. We get to talk about the murders! Fucking finally. We'll talk about the first two series of murders in Washington, Oregon, where he, there is no consensus on where or when Bundy began killing the women. He told different stories to different people and refused to divulge the specifics of his earliest crimes. Even as he confessed in graphic detail to dozens of later murders in the days preceding his execution, he told Nielsen that he attempted his first kidnapping in 1969 in Ocean City, New Jersey, but did not kill anyone until sometime after 1971 in Seattle. He told psychologist Art Norman that he killed two women in Atlantic City in 69 while visiting family in Philadelphia. He also hinted but refused to elaborate uh, to the homicide detective Robert D. Keppel that he committed a murder in Seattle in 1972 and another in 1973. That involved a hitchhiker near Tumwater Rule and Keppel both believed that he might have started killing that time. As a teenager, his earliest documented homicides, now keep in mind, this was before his school career, law school, med school. As a teenager, his earliest documented homicides were committed in 1974 when he was 27 years old. I wouldn't call that a teenager, though. No, not, not one bit. Oh, oh, I see what he did. Tw- wait, I he swear, was... it, was, it cut between two pages, so I read that wrong. I was going to say he was 27 and he still hadn't been to college. Right. Rule and Kevel both believe that he might have started killing as a teenager. Now, his mm-hmm. earliest documented homicides were committed in 1974 when he was 27. By then, by his own admission, by the way, he had mastered the necessary skills in the era before DNA profiling to leave minimal incriminating forensic evidence at crime scenes. Hence his law studies, what he was probably doing while he was in med school as well. Shortly after midnight on January 4th, 1974, around the time he had terminated his relationship with Brooks, 
Bundy entered the basement apartment of 18-year-old Karen Sparks. Identified as Joni Lenz, Mary Adams, and Terry Caldwell, Caldwell, by various sources. So why do they she have so many fucking names? That's sus. <laughs> Super sus. She was a dancer and a student at UW. After bludgeoning Sparks senseless with a metal rod from her bed frame, he then sexually assaulted her with the entire rod. He then sexually assaulted her with the same rod or a metal spelkum, causing extensive internal injuries, and she remained unconscious for 10 days, but survived with permanent physical and mental disabilities. In the early morning hours of February 1st, Bundy broke into a basement room of Lydia Ann Healy, a UW graduate who broadcasted morning radio weather sports for skiers. He beat her unconscious, dressed her in blue jeans and a white blouse and boots, and then carried her away. During the first half of 1974, female college students disappeared at a rate of about one per month. On March 12th, Donna Gale Mason, a 19-year-old student at Evergreen State College in Olympia, 60 miles southwest of Seattle, left her dormitory to attend a jazz concert on campus but never arrived. April 17th, Susan Elaine Raincourt disappeared while on her way to her dorm room after an evening advisors meeting at the Central Washington State College in Ellensburg. 110 miles southeast of Seattle, two female Central Washington students later came forward to report encounters, one on the night of Raincourt's disappearance and the other three nights earlier, with a man wearing an arm sling. Asking for help carrying a load of books to his brown or tan Volkswagen Beetle, Devin! God damn it. <laughs> On May 6th, Robert Parks left her dormitory at Oregon State University. Corval- Corvallis? Corvallis. Corvallis. That's right. That's right. At Oregon State University in Corvallis, 260 miles south of Seattle to have coffee with her friends at a memorial union, but never arrived. Detectives from King County and Seattle Police Departments grew increasingly concerned. There was no significant physical evidence, and the missing women had little in common, apart from them being young, attractive white college students with long hair parted in the middle. On June 1st, Brenda Carol Ball... 22 years old, disappeared after leaving Flame Tavern in Buren near Seattle, Tacoma International Airport. She was last seen in the parking lot talking to a brown-haired man with an arm sling. Oh, he had like a ruse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had a ruse going. Can you help me out with these textbooks? Yeah. I got my arm in a sling here. Yeah, I'm, I'm of no... This arm is disabilitated, so yeah. I could never strangle it. Right, I'm of no threat to you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty clever. I mean, if I was going to do it, you know, that's... Don't trust anybody <laughs> wearing medical equipment. Ever. No, no. No. Especially like a hard cast, bro. That's a weapon on his arm. You see somebody in a, in a cask or uh, in a wheelchair... Or uh, on crutches. You just don't. You help don't those trust people. them. You don't talk to you do, them. You do not help them. You don't people. know what's gonna happen. If anything, you trip them. They got an AK hidden in that shit somewhere. They got an AK. Appendix. 
<laughs> Appendix carry AK-47. Yeah, you've got plenty of room underneath that wheelchair to hide a firearm. I know absolutely, you do. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a big problem. It is. It's it's sweeping the nation at a vast rate. <laughs> Likely caused by a podcast lo- localized in Louisville, Kentucky, where people say they got the idea. And can only be stopped by wheelchair ramps or their lack of. <laughs> We gotta put. It's like you know, how, like you know, how, like in urban areas they put like the skate stoppers that way people can't or grind. Or the homeless bench people where they put a statue yeah, of a homeless yeah, yeah. person sleeping on a bench. It's like, ah, you want to sleep here, but we put a bronze statue of you sleeping on the bench. So now you can't sleep on the bench. Get fucked. Get fucked. Nobody can sit on this bench. It's pointless. I don't like that. Or the, you know, actually in New in uh, Chicago they actually have spikes that they yep. uh, after a certain hour mm-hmm. they they come out of the ground. Urban deterrence, I believe, is what they're called. It's fucking horrible. It is. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> the conspiracy of the homelessness and the uh, the government's attack on homelessness, and which, by the way, government self induced homelessness. Just so you know, they want to keep people down. In the early hours of June eleventh. In the early hours of June 11th, UW student Gorgon Hawkins vanished while walking down a brightly lit alley between her boyfriend's dormitory residence and her sorority house. Well, that's where you fucked up. The next morning, three Seattle homicide detectives and criminalists combined the entire, uh, combed the entire alleyway on their hands and knees, finding nothing. Really on their hands and knees? Doubtful to say the least, sir. Bundy later told Capel that he lured Hawkins into his car and knocked her unconscious with a crowbar. After handcuffing her, he drove her to Iosqua, a suburb 20 miles southeast. It's or pronounced Ayahuasca, sir. It's Issaquaha, <laughs> and I can't say it. You, you take it and it's then you not trip Ayahuasca. for 18 hours. There's not a W or a U. <laughs> It is I-S-S-A-Q-U-A-H. Figure that out. 20 miles east of Seattle is all that's important, I guess. Uh, Where he strangled her and spent the entire night with her body. He told Keppel that he returned to the UW alley the morning after. And in the very midst of a major crime scene investigation, located and gathered Hawkins' earrings and one of her shoes. Where he had left them in the adjoining parking lot. While they're looking for evidence, he walked into the crime scene and picked up the evidence. They do say that criminals often revisit the crime scene. Yes, they do, but nobody ever seems to catch him at that location. Yeah, this man's literally walking around with a wheel, wheelbarrow for his balls because he gives no votes. Very, very brazen. Yeah. Now, like I said, he left those items in the adjoining parking lot and then departed unobserved. It was a feat so brazen, quote, wrote Keppel. You and Keppel must get along very well. That you is, said brazen, sir, not me. <laughs> oh, I didn't read this part yet. I just feeled like the word that would fit. It, 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 and it did. It was a feat so brazen, wrote Keppel, that it astonishes police even today. He said he revisited Hawkins' corpse on three occasions. After Hawkins' disappearance was publicized, witnesses came forward to reporting seeing a man that night in the alley behind the nearby dormitory. He was on crutches with a leg cast and struggling to carry a briefcase. One woman recalled that the man asked her for help with his carrying his case to his car, which was a light brown Volkswagen Beetle. 
I would think that everybody should just be on the lookout for a light brown Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, at the time, he's not getting a lot of uh, police interaction, right? They're just they're finding the crime scenes, but nothing else to go off of. Uh-huh. Yeah, the public w- probably was not aware in any way, shape, or form. Not to mention the fact that during this time, Bundy was actually working in Olympia as an assistant director to the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission. Whoa, that's no good. Where he actually wrote a pamphlet for young women on rape prevention. Of course he did. Yeah. He that's because he's an expert. He is. <laughs> hey, I know what would stop me, said Ted Bundy. Oh. Huh. <laughs> I was going to say, Devin, you have comments? <laughs> where are you going with that, bud? Uh, later, he had- John. I'm not a a man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now that made me feel good. There you go. Thanks. Yeah, it gave me a little ego boost. Yeah, anything to help you, man. I know you struggle. Need that serotonin boost. See it dominate you more. There you go. Yeah. Whatever makes you feel good, man. Well, can we get can we get the leather whip that I was looking at? <laughs> yeah, you're more than welcome to purchase whatever you like. Oh yeah, I'll use it on you. Later, he wrote that he actually worked at the Department of Emergency Services, a state government agency involved in the search for missing women. Well, doesn't this hold on? This this is kind of driving me nuts a little bit. The whole time I'm, I've been looking and reading all this, it makes me have very strong parallels to Dexter. I mean, again, the people who wrote Dexter probably you know going off of. I mean, what they have. He's literally positioned into a place where he could. Deter any eyes on him. Government's corrupt, sir. Obviously. At the DES, he met and dated Carol Ann Boone. And twice-divorced mother... Well, there's a problem. A twice-divorced mother of two who, six years later, would play an important role in the final phase of his life. Reports of the six missing women and sparks brutal beating prominently in newspapers and on television throughout Washington and Oregon area. Fear spread among the population. Hitchhiking by young women was dropped sharply. Pressure mounted on law enforcement agencies, but scarcely uh, physical. the scarcity of physical evidence severely hampered them. Police could not provide reporters with the little information that was available for fear of compromising the investigation. Further similarities between the victims were noted. The disappearances all took place at night, usually near ongoing construction work, within a week of midterm or final exams, and all of the victims were wearing slacks or blue jeans. At most crime scenes, there were sightings of a man wearing a cast or a sling when driving a brown or tan Volkswagen Beetle. Now... The Pacific Northwest murders culminated on July 14th with the broad daylight abductions of two women from a crowded beach at Lake Samish State Park. Five female witnesses described an attractive young man wearing a white tennis outfit with his left arm in a sling speaking with a light accent, perhaps Canadian or British, introducing himself as Ted. That was fucking dumb. Yeah, I mean, I guess he knew he was going to, you know, fucking murk him, but still. I'm just saying, why would you use your real name? Why would you even risk it? Yeah. For the biscuit, sir. Bruh. Bruh. Brazen. (laughs) Brazen. (laughs) Brazen. (laughs) He asked their help in unloading a sailboat 
from his tan or bronze-colored Volkswagen Beetle. What? What? He had a sailboat in the Beetle? Like a model boat, probably the motorized. Oh, okay, ones. that makes way more like. Oh, hey, can you help? Man, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Man. This is 70s, 80s. I mean, you know, they definitely could. They definitely, I think, they had versions of those um, RC sailboats by then. Probably not like sense. they do now, but yeah, there's definitely some of that. Four people refused, one accompanied him, and as far as his car, saw that there was no sailboat and fled. Smart woman. Three additional witnesses saw him approach Janice Ann Ott, 23-year-old, a probation caseworker at King County Juvenile Court, with a sailboat story and watched her leave the beach in his company. Uh, Bundy shifted much of his criminal activity eastward from his uh, base in uh, Utah and Colorado. On January 12th, a 23-year-old registered nurse named Karen Ean Campbell disappeared while walking down a well-lit hallway between the elevator of her room and at the Willwood Inn, which is now called the Willwood Lodge, if you would like to go there, in Snowmass Village, 400 miles southeast of Salt Lake City. Again, it's just wild how all over the place this man has been. Her nude body was found a month later next to a dirt road just outside the resort. She had been killed by blows to her head from blunt instruments that left distinctive linear grooved impressions and depressions on her skull. Her body was also bore deep cuts from sharp weapons. Snowmass Val ski instructor Julie Cunningham, 26, disappeared while walking from her apartment to a dinner date with a friend. Bundy told later that Colorado investigators had approached Cunningham on crutches and asked her to help carry his ski boots to his car. That doesn't make sense. It's the same old trick over and over again. If you're on crutches. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you going to have to carry ski boots? You ain't going skiing, boy. You ain't going skiing. (laughs) Why does nobody ask that question? That makes me itchy. She walked him to his car to help with the ski boots, where he clubbed and handcuffed her, then assaulted and strangled her at a secondary site. Weeks later, he made it uh, made the six-hour drive from Salt Lake to revisit her remains. That's gross, man. Uh, all he's saying is, is if you guys are interested, we say it a lot, uh, but Bro, I ain't playing. I have <laughs> thirty-one pages. Yeah. So if you do want a part two, not only are we obliged to do a part two, we're ready to do a part two. Just let us know in the comments below. Yeah. So here's a there. There's a lot of things you can actually go to a museum uh, where Bundy's Volkswagen's Beetle is actually displayed in the lobby of the National Museum of Crime and Punishment in Washington D.C. Uh, up until its closure in 2015. Now, it is presently on exhibit at Alcatraz East Crime Museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, by the way. Wow. Yes. Uh, A ski mask, a rope, flashlight, handcuffs, gloves, nylon mask were all found inside Bundy's vehicle and can also be seen on display. Uh, Bundy's complete DNA profile obtained by uh, from a vial of his blood found at evidence is in an evidence vault and was added to the FBI's database for future reference in these and other unsolved murder cases. So they're going to still be convicting him after his death, uh, probably on cases as time time goes on for real, uh, which is pretty actually interesting. Um, again, I've got 
14 other pages I didn't read <laughs> of murders. Uh, but let's finish this up. Although Ted Bundy was executed on January 24th, 1989, several documentary films were released around the 30th anniversary of his execution. Uh they seem to have inspired an entirely new generation of admirers for Ted Bundy, as a matter of fact. As reported by MTV News, a startling number of teens and young adults have taken to social media sites, including TikTok, to express their interest and even admiration for this convicted serial killer. In some of the clips, the teens and young adults portray themselves as being are getting dressed and ready for a date with Ted Bundy. Some videos include role-playing, with both males and females portraying <laughs> Bundy's victims and even some of them portraying as himself, as the killer himself. Alternatively, MTV News reports that one user attempted to convince her followers that she was Bundy's granddaughter. However, she later admitted it was simply a joke, and it is unclear how many of the teens and young adults are actual fans uh, of whether they are simply trying to increase their number of followers or not. They're still a fair number of people who have a deep fascination with this serial killer. Yeah. Lots of people get weird about serial killers, man. It's weird. Well, I mean, it's good to remember things in history, but I mean, I think our younger generations right now, our teens and stuff are taking it way too far. There's a difference between remembering and glorifying, I believe. There is that. There is that. Absolutely. So this has been Wolf Takes a Bite Out of Topic. I'm just kidding. This has been Wolf Takes a Bite Out of Ted Bundy. As always, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Wolf Takes a Bite Pod. And of course, this episode is brought to you by Gray Man Media. You can find us at graymanmediaco.com. Also, if you're interested in starting a podcast of your own, you can use our affiliate link down below to visit our RSS provider, Transistor. Nice. Leave us a rating and comment on this show. That really helps us bring us the content that we want to make you. And of course, this episode is brought to you by Gray Man Media. You can also find us at graymanmediaco.com. <laughs> and while you're there, go check out our store and send us pictures of the latest Gray Man swag. We'll be back next week for another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite. Oh, yeah. And keep your eyes open for more information on Wolf Takes a Bite content and subscribe on our YouTube channel for even more of your favorite shows. I love you guys. Remember, question everything, and we'll see you on the next one. We had two different sets of notes. Bah, 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 bah. I use the same one that we always use. I do not know what happened, sir. That's what I have. Why'd you read the... I did. I just copy and paste it. This is from your scripts. No. Yes. No. Yes. Bet you me? Got, you updated. Bet me? You updated. Bet me? Okay.